This is the inaugural podcast of the reality of reality. I'm Aliza Rosen. I've been working as a producer and development executive at Unscripted Television for a very long time. And I love talking to other people in the business. And that's what this podcast is all about. Conversations with interesting people in all aspects of the unscripted business. So for my first episode, I have the great pleasure to talk to a big shot in our industry, Jenny Daly. She is one of really a small handful of women who own a TV production company. She and her company, T Group, are responsible for hit shows like Storage Hunters on True TV, Mystery Diners on Food Network, both of which I think are in season a million. And for several years, she's been in the top 25 top reality players in The Hollywood Reporter. She is a powerhouse, a very smart cookie, and someone I am proud to call a friend. Hi, Jenny. (laughs) Hi, Eliza. How are you? Good. Thanks for being here for my inaugural podcast, The Reality of Reality. I like it. Okay, so Jenny Daly is the owner and uh, founder of T Group here in L.A., and I guess I really don't... I know some of your resume before that, but Mm -hmm. give me sort of the... How we got to T-Group, you know. We don't have to go to the board in Philly. I was going to say, do you want me to roll back to where I started? Um, I'll give you kind of the condensed version that got me where I'm at today. Um, I would say my, I think, ignorance got me to where I am today. Out of lack of understanding just how hard this business can be. Um, I actually moved down to, I wanted to be a news anchor. That's what I went to college for. And I was intending on being a newscaster. Um, and then I had a boyfriend in LA at the time who, uh, lured me down to LA and then I started doing some hosting stuff. And then a friend of mine was at a company called Fuel, which is a broadcast, uh, uh, graphics company. And I started working there as a, you know, basically a front desk assistant. And that's when After Effects started happening and post houses were closing down. And so immediately I went from this 26 year old assistant to senior producer in about three months. And I was like, of course I can do all that. And that's what I think a successful producer is, is somebody who just says, I can make that happen and just uh, being resourceful. So I started doing that and I became a producer and I suddenly I realized quickly that my ambition to go into the direction of newscasting hosting was really being less and less interesting as I accelerated rapidly in the production arena but I realized I didn't want to be a I'd say advertising um you know executive so I wanted to create vehicles and and shows and and so I decided to I wanted to do a feature film and I I actually went wound up doing my first feature film at 28 years old I know it's crazy um, and I was able to secure financing because I met somebody. Again, I think it's just ignorance. I had no idea how difficult it was, and I just figured, oh, yeah, I want to do a film. Let's make it happen. So I did a film um, called Shade of Places with Christina Applegate and Jonathan Sheck and Molly Ringwald and all these great people. Is it on um, Netflix? Yeah. Check it out. I think you can. Um, yes, I'm sure it is. Okay. Um, one of those. Anyway, so then I decided to create content, and then I sold my first show to GSN in 2000 um, called Friend or Foe. And friend, and again, it was literally me, hi, I'm Jenny Daly, calling up companies saying I'd like to pitch you a show. Um, and then how <laughs> were you thinking if this show sells, am I going to produce it? Because I could produce anything, of course. That's what I thought. I'm like, of course I can. But um, how I sold my first show, though, was actually, as you have a mentor, Paul Buccieri, 
Um, he was somebody who I crossed paths with when we, I had a partner at the time, we were pitching our goods and he was at a, I'm going to say Chris Craft or one of those companies that, um, he really liked our idea and he left and was looking to open up his own company and he asked us if we'd like to take on the project together and we said yes. And so we went out and pitched and sold the show to GSN. And Friend or Foe did about 140 episodes, and Paul, being the executive producer that he is, helped really guide me into what it means to actually run a show. Sorry, real quick, before that, though, I was working as a producer on the X show that was um, on FX. Oh, And yeah. so I really got my, I'd say I really learned how to produce a show on the X show because every six days I had to pump out an hour show from head to toe, meaning writing it, crafting it, every single segment. It was with Mark Cronin. Um, and Gary R. back at the time. And it was my, I would say, entry into hardcore producing and really learning what it means to put a show on the air every, you know, six days. And so then Friend or Foe, you were show running that? Mm-hmm. And then what was, it was uh, it was a daily show? We had 140 episodes. Is it was a, a strip. It was, we, we shot it like a, we shot it like a, a, we gang shot it, you know, so it was like a strip, but it didn't, I don't think it aired every day. I think it, uh, I don't know. I can't even remember. It was, what was it? What was it was it was a really fun idea. It was with Kennedy was the host, and it was where literally um, each of us were, we don't know each other, and we have to play a game together. And in the end, we accumulate a lot of money, and now we need to decide how to split it. And if both of us, when we put our hand in the hand box of trust where you can't see mine and I can't see yours, hopefully we both pick friend. Little prisoner's dilemma. If we both pick friend, we split the pot 50-50, we earned it. But if one of us is a little bit greedy and deceitful, and I've told you all along, Elise, I'm going to be your friend, please, you too, but I push foe, I get all the money. But if we both push foe, we're both greedy, neither of us get anything. Oh, I love that. So this was okay. just, you were driving one day and you just thought of it? Like, how did it, it's a pretty complicated concept. Um, you know, this idea... I don't even know how I generated Your crazy brain. I don't know. I'll have a lot of things. I, and the next show I sold, actually, was called Fake-A-Date. And it stemmed from my friend Carol and I going out one night, and we were both single. And there was a guy that literally everything he did, she did too. And I was like, she's lying. She's lying. And, of course, she won the guy in the end because, I mean, she lied her way. She was He was a brain surgeon. I think she was too. She hated dogs. He loved dogs. Suddenly she loved dogs. It was genius. So a lot of my ideas, I think, came from, like, real-life situations that you then turn into what makes sense for a show. And who'd you sell that to? That show we sold to Lisa Berger when she was at Carsey Warner, and then it ended up selling to GSN as well. So were you a company at this point, or were you just Jenny selling shows and partnering up? It was Paul Buccieri, <laughs> myself, and Tim Pontillo, and we were selling shows. And we were not officially a company but then Lisa Berger, who was at Carsey Warner, lured me over to be an executive at E. So this is in 2004. I became vice president of development at E. And I was there what I thought would only be a year. It turned out to be three years. And that's when E was really changing its programming from uh, clip shows to docu-soaps. And it really was the genesis of that where I over we brought in the Gastineau Girls and Girls Next Door and Number One Single with Lisa Loeb and The Simple Life and all of that stuff was really kind of that was the onslaught of the awakening of the Kardashians. You know, they came in a number of times. Oh, 
we yeah. got to talk about that. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely one of those where they came in a couple of times where Lisa just, it was difficult to see why that show would be. I mean, they were really sweet, but it was one where they were like, it'll be great and amazing. But at the time, um, they didn't really have any notoriety. They were sisters who were all very pretty, but why is that going to be a good show? And then I think a really special tape came out for Kim. That made it. <laughs> that made her I'm thinking, suddenly was it get. A sizzle well, reel? they were friends with Paris, so Paris was huge at the time. Right. So that was kind of the connective tissue to the social life out there. And then when that tape hit, it kind of made her much more of a not household name, but an awareness. <laughs> and then um, it was actually Elliot Goldberg took a real chance on it when he was at Ryan Seacrest, and mm. he decided Elliot, who's now at AMC, right. runs AMC. He really said, let me, I'm going to do a sizzle. I'm going to do a presentation. And then he walked that into Lisa and she said, actually, yeah, there's a show here. Were you there at that time? I just left. Oh, wow. So you so, can't take credit for it. No, I do not take credit for that. <laughs> uh, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> oh, no, I actually like the show. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know what? It's a good show. Yeah. So backing up for a minute, because I'm so curious, sort of going from the producer side to the network side, I always think that's a really interesting shift and I think it's a major shift. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering... At the time, and you used the word lure. She lured you. Were you yeah. reluctant? Did you Very. want to be on the buyer side, on the Not seller side? Again, ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have any idea what it meant to be a buyer and that, oh, actually, I have power and I don't have to worry about making ends meet, you know, because I, I really, before I sold my first series, I took a good year invested in myself. And um, I was like, this show's going to sell. And it really was kind of, again, just being young and not having a family, not having, but it's, it's a lot, it's, it's, you're risk, you're taking a chance on yourself. And that's something I think I've always done. I've said, all right, I can do it. Sure, let's try it. So going over to be an executive at E, it was one where Lisa said, it'll be great, it'll be amazing. And I had no interest whatsoever. I was like, I'm doing fine. I'm running shows. I'm selling things. I don't, I don't know why. But Paul, actually, Buccieri, was, again, instrumental in that and saying, you know, it's a good opportunity. You're going to get much more experience in another arena of our business, which is important. So anyway, it was one that I was reluctant. And I have to say, learning the other side of our business as an executive has really made me a better producer in, a, in, a, in many ways in that you understand the dynamic of what goes on inside a network and why something gets to air, and why something, even though it's a really good show, isn't going to work um, for them. So it, it allowed me, I think, to really think on a level of why would this show be one that a network is going to buy in now crafting shows? And how do I navigate through the world of, you know, of, of a network in how you approach conversations, how you ensure confidence as a producer that you can get it done? There's a lot of levels to, I think, being able to actually be partners when it comes to a producer and a network because as a producer you're looking at things very much in your own bubble it's all about you but as a network executive obviously you're you have a multitude of people who you're dealing with you also have a the much more larger gamut of the business that you're mm -hmm. dealing with every single agent you're dealing with not just one mm -hmm. every single producer walks through <clears> your door <throat> not just you so it's um, it's that's, that's it's a, a valuable point. it's a valuable experience. Yeah, I think I think it is, and I think um, probably the network executives have a trust in you because of that on a certain level, knowing that you were on that side for a while. Absolutely, but I also think it made me learn what producers were doing right and what producers were doing wrong. What's the number one actually? Thing? I think the number one thing that that you looked at as a network executive 
was seeing the level of, I think, um, attention to detail that went into things. A lot of times it would be, and again, I think because as a producer, you're really seeing things on your own track. And you think you see it all, but as a network executive, you're looking at, well, I'm the viewer. I don't understand why you're telling me that, why you're telling me the world is blue. You have to explain it clearer. The world just can't be blue. And so that was something I have to say Lisa Berger really taught me. She was a really strong, I think, um, uh, as far as tool in my learning in how to make a show, one that, that universally I think an audience could relate to. So you're saying that like producers can be too much in their bubble of like they think it's the best idea, but... They think it's about, well, how it's produced and how it's made. It's almost like a director on a feature film. They yeah. always say the director loves the creative and the beauty and everything, so they're not really seeing the storyline sometimes as strongly, where they'll say, you know, you'll have a director's cut where it just kind of goes on too long. <laughs> you didn't really need it, and you don't. But it looks beautiful, and I right. get it. You want it because, you, you know, you it's your baby. You, you made that. So as a producer, too, when you're making something, sometimes you aren't looking at, you know, do I really, am I explaining it clearly? Am I using the best scene to move me forward? Is this the, the you know, the best element that's going to make this whole show, you know, successful? So it's, it's really just, it's, again, it's having another layer that can see things. But I do feel, though, in that what I learned, too, as an executive is you could be too heavy-handed, too. Whereas I was a producer, so I think the first year, I I, I mean, I know, I was in the field. I, I did a show with you. Yeah. I literally was probably trying to run the entire show. I, I loved sure. every second of it. But I, I did that out of the producer in me. Right. But truth is, I probably should have just let you do your show. Well, normally <laughs> I would have hated you for it because that is probably the single most annoying thing as a producer when the network exec gets involved. However, you, unlike a lot of network executives, knew what you were doing because you had that experience. And so, um, And then, of course, there's that element of hey, she's the ultimate. She and her team are going to be the ones to decide. So if she produces it her way, it's a better chance of getting green light. And I, and I hear you on that, but I also, again, in my learning curve, it's one that you have to also trust the people you're working with yeah. and say, clearly they're doing what they're doing because they, uh, they're here for a reason. And if, it, and if it fails, then you have to look at it, what's the reason, and not just pointing fingers. Oh, it failed because of you and not because of me or we. Right. So, and have you been on the side? Have you experienced that now with network execs that get down and dirty? Does it make you crazy? It do, you know, getting down and dirty never makes me crazy. It's more, it's more minutia that right. you feel like you're not being heard or that you're not being, um, your vision gets completely stomped on to say no, this is going to work. When you have that gut feeling, it won't. So how do you navigate that? Like, how do you push back without being a jerk? But being heard, but also knowing that they're paying for it. Like, I think that's tricky. It is tricky. It is. And it's also hard, I think, sometimes as a woman. You know, I've been told I'm, I'm, I'm pushy, I'm aggressive, I'm, you know, those things. And I am. I'm familiar. And I am. But I also look at it as, like, I am in the sense that, I don't know, I don't think ma men, you know, like Craig Poligian, who's an amazing producer, who's very strong in his voice, as we all know, and not we all who's listening, but uh, notoriously in our industry he is. Right. And I actually really, uh, I really enjoy Craig. I think he's really talented, obviously. But um, he's a strong voice, and he can be very, con you know, strong in his conviction. And it's been something where he's, you know, been one to say things that are screaming or loud, but sometimes you feel like you're just not being heard or you're being, you know, unfortunately, Craig's been in our industry for, I don't know, 30 years 
and a lot of executives are very young and haven't done hardly any shows, and they'll give notes upon notes to Craig Poligian, who's like, I'm sorry, but I think I know how to do a show. And it's true. So it was interesting that you said as a woman especially, it's hard because you feel like maybe there's it's even trickier, that dance of, of you don't want to be too strong because you're going to be perceived as too pushy, or is it more a gender thing, or is it more a producer versus network thing? I think it's it can be, you know, it can be a gender thing. I think, you know, at times, a gender thing where... I look at myself and as a woman owning a company, a single female owning a company, there are, I, I don't think there's even a handful of us that I can Sally think of. Sally Ann. Who now, she's, she, she is, she's not independent any longer. Oh, right. But she is a single woman, yes. And yeah. Sally Ann is great. She and I are good friends. Yeah. And she and I, you know, often will sit on a couch and just talk. How are you doing? Oh my God! <laughs> How are you doing? A little bit, but it's. Um, I think that's it. I'm trying to think if I mean there's sirens. But Sally and the they're two. Right. They're a partnership, yeah. but it's rare to have a single female yeah. owner. Um, but it's uh, you know I I think, I think it's difficult in a in a sense that it's not it's not blatantly difficult, but it's there's an underlying difficulty in it, and it is something where um, you know my personality is. I think very specific and clear and defined where I don't make excuses for, for being, you know, strong or, or kind of focused. And people will laugh and joke with me. Many network executives do like, oh, of course, Jenny, you would say that. And yes, and I'm like, yeah, that's who I am. You know, have you ever had a situation where you've pushed and pushed because you felt so strongly where the network just was not hearing you or do you sort of back down early? Like, you know, I'm curious. I did have that. Exp yes. I mean, yes. One experience I had was when I was doing Storage Hunters mm -hmm. and it, we were just crafting it. And it was a true TV at the time. And our executive there, um, who basically we were being gone, taken down a path, that finally I, I actually said, you know, I don't think this is a show we want to do. I'm not happy with it. It doesn't say. And, and to his credit, he said, I think you're right. It actually, you're right. It isn't working. Like, let's go back. And and it did, and it did really successful, and it was a great series. And, you know, interestingly enough, as the network started to shift, they wanted us, because it was a pretty uh, physical show, mm -hmm, and it got yeah. there. And I think that was what differentiated it from the other storage shows out there, because it was, you know, we had storage hunters, we had storage wars, and we had auction hunters. Um, and that was strategic in the storage <laughs> hunters to have it all mixed together on True TV side. Right. But, um, but it was... One of those shows that I think differentiated in the sense of the physicality, but they actually had us minimize that as we started getting more and more seasons down. And I actually disagree with that choice. I think it should have stayed what it was. Um, and I think that's hard because when the network does change brand, I mean, they and they changed, you know, I mean, it was sort of a slow burn and then a very, very 180, I guess. Um, you have to, you know, you have to stay, you want to stay in business with them. You want to keep doing shows for them. So you have to kind of pivot as well. You have to do what makes them happy, but at the same time, I was constantly trying to push that back. And I think it should have stayed to that level, personally. So, okay, I want to get back to Storage Hunters, but I want to go chronologically. So you left E, and then you went to... I left E, and be, I left thing. E because I wanted to go out and actually do my own thing. I yeah. missed having the creative palette. E was a very specific brand, and I really missed um, being able to create eclectic programming. And at the time, Ted Harbert 
was like, are you crazy, Jenny? I mean, he was the president of the network and a great guy. And he, you know, jokingly was like choking me. <laughs> Not real, but jokingly. <laughs> um, like, you're nuts. What are you doing? And, you know, and again, I, ignorance is bliss. I was like, oh, it'll be great. And I didn't have kids at the time. And so I said, you know, this is one time I need to I need to get out there. I need to do it. So I went out and I basically, I actually did a little moment of time with um some friends of mine at the time that didn't end up working that. out. Yeah. That was a blip. Yeah, that was a blip in my yeah. But anyway, so <laughs> after that I was I was trying to figure out what I was gonna do and I was I just got pregnant actually. And there was a company named Target who was based in the UK, Target Entertainment, that was an international distribution company. Alison Raisin was the president of the company. And she was looking for somebody to open up original programming for the US. Mm. And so I thought, well this is interesting. I can run something and and have a larger entity who's paying my overhead so I'm fortunate in that way that I don't have to do it all on my own and um and so I said all right it was a phone interview and so we my stomach is growling oh my God. now I'm gonna have, have to, to have that banana so Craft services please. <laughs> <laughs> so so I uh I had a phone interview and I knew I was pregnant I was literally like a couple, six weeks pregnant and and they said who our top two candidates candidates were gonna fly out to the UK and I said okay great and I knew I gave good phone so I was like great I know I'm gonna be called out I'm gonna have to tell her I'm pregnant because I want to be honest about this so cut to on the Monday when I was expecting the call you're coming out I got a congratulations you got the job oh. and I said oh, I am grateful and so excited but guess what I got to be honest with you I'm pregnant and so I just want you to know this and she's like I am too they were, so Amazing. we happen to both be pregnant at the same time so I literally started Target um in 2008 at pregnant and so Target was um you know starting it from literally nothing it was me and an assistant and it was where I hustled to get things up and going and then I had my son, my first son, in July. I this came back in gorgeous. October. Thank Just going to add that in. Quinton, he's amazing. <laughs> um, so in July, I came back, hustled a little more. And actually, 2008 was when it hit really hard, the recession. And at that point, Target really thought uh, hard about their economics. And they said, unfortunately, they couldn't keep the U.S. open any longer. So I had spent a year telling people I wasn't selling furniture, and I had a baby, and I was like, you know, I had literally a six-month-old baby, and so I don't know why, again, ignorance is bliss, and I said, you know what, let's just dissolve dissolve the contract and become 50-50 partners. I don't know what gave me that idea, but I just had it. I'd never run my own company, but I said, all right, let's do this. So um, they, they gave me enough money literally to keep the lights on. And other than that, I had to hustle. And that's what I did. And I hustled and I sold. And then everything that we sold, we put back into bodies. And I didn't take a salary for a year. Um, You know, I I fed my child purely on just like, you know, baby food. He got nothing but that. He's malnourished. He's malnourished. He's very thin, though. He's very L.A. thin. Thank God. It's a good luck. It works in L.A. It doesn't mean in the rest of the country. But you know what you did? It's like there's a theme that I think is developing, which is like once again, it doesn't surprise me for a minute that you did because you bet on yourself. You know, you, it was. It was again. betting on myself. And and then after that year, it was a renegotiating every year. And unfortunately, Target was not in a position that they wanted to keep investing in the company. So their percentage minimized, my percentage um, you know, accelerated. And then by 2010, it really was apparent that um, 
it wasn't working in the way that our sis, our, our system. So 2009, I grew the company. 2010 was a renegotiation. I became majority owner at that point, and I opened up tar, uh, T Group. And I opened up T Group because the banking was going from literally to the UK and back to me, and it was not working whatsoever. <laughs> right. So we opened up T Group, and T Group then, um, in in a way, to the networks was great too because Target now became my sister company, and they were basically a distribution entity, which allowed me as a company to retain distribution, Amazing. which was great. And it was one of those situations where I was majority owner, but it wasn't really something that I expressed to the world because with Target, I was an international player. Right. But so as T Group, I was Jenny Daly hustling. <laughs> and um, and not that that's a bad thing, but I just wanted – it gave me a much more global presence. Yeah. So then that was 2010, T Group opened, and then 2011, I became – I just took over the entire company. Amazing. And I feel like um, the international and of it Target, all. Target unfortunately went under. Oh, I was gonna ask. Yeah, you. yeah. Target yeah, went under, that's but too bad. which is and and again, it was just a prize. Unfortunate, but it was one of those situations where, you know, couldn't stay afloat. Yeah. So I feel like the international roots from Target, like, because you are, and not all companies are as much into international as T Group is. It's because of Target, because yeah. I really learned how that world worked. I learned uh, I, the understanding of global and what formats sell and why a format and not, well, Kim Kardashian, you know, the Kardashians is a great show that can be distributed internationally, but it's not a format, obviously. Right. So that would never be something that would be um, an original program that the UK would buy. And that's something I really started pushing hard. Like, why don't they buy my shows directly? They should do that. So it was really difficult at the time for that, that thing to really work. So I had, because it, it was something that w wasn't really done. U.S. producers weren't really selling directly to the U.K. Right. And so I was really kind of aggressive with Target at the time saying, let's get these up and running here and bring them back to the U.S. because it's a difficult, you know, there's ownership there. There isn't as much here. And, and it wasn't even as aggressive as it is today. So I learned a lot about international distribution. And it allowed us now is that we distribute storage hunters. Um, and now Storage Hunters UK right. is doing phenomenal. We have, and that's original. That's originals. That you produce. Does T Group produce that? We are co-producers on it. They're, a company in the UK is the production entity of that. But Sean Kelly, who was our auctioneer here, is the auctioneer in the UK. Oh, that's amazing. And we distribute all the finished shows. And then France now just did originals, too. So, um, just being totally blunt, is that a big cash cow? I mean, that it's a good, like it. it's a good, it's it's a good money stream. It's it's definitely in, the international distribution is a very strong business, and I wouldn't claim that we are a distribution company, but we're now globally. I would say um, we have global relationships because of the show, and we are selling other formats too, which is great. That's what I was going to ask. So in terms of the whole international of it all, I mean, I know one of the frustrations with most production U.S. production companies is that the networks buy the show and they get international and you get nothing. Nothing. Yeah, you yeah. get nothing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get a little piece of a little piece of a little piece of means nothing. So because you have the experience, because you know what's what you could do, I mean, what's the strategy? Do you go in thinking, I'm going to fight for national, I'll co-finance it to... To get some of those rights, or do you just give up? Like how, or is it case by case? It's case by case, and it's obviously based on the networks. Um, I think their their ability and or their aggress their their desire to have international, and we know the A and E networks are very uh, you know aggressive about owning everything. Mm -hmm. um, 
the some of the other outlets I do have distribution with, and that's due to the fact that I can distribute well. And we've made True TV a ton of money because of it. Mm-hmm. Be, yeah, of the of right. the you know as far as extension of Storage Hunters and and international. So we're good at what we do because of the nature of just the business happened to work. Um, so it makes sense to say, yeah, you can take it on. Like we just had a CW show that we took the distribution on and we're selling it globally, the show. And we actually were handed another show of theirs that they, um, wanted distribution on that we're selling. So fantastic. How do you get, so was that a tough negotiation to get those rights from CW? No, because again, we've proven our, our our capability. Right. So they know they can benefit too. Exactly. And, um, and so when it comes down to, you know, different ways of doing it too is deficit financing. And now you have to maybe put up some pre-sale dollars to the actual distribution, you know, as far as ownership. Meaning, in order for me to get the show, I need to give you money that's pre-sales globally. So I'm paying money out of my own pocket, but I know the upside of what I'll be making in the in the long run. But you do? I mean, I do. Literally. Okay. No, no, we that really do. Risky. <laughs> it is risky, but we have to. We we go out to everybody globally and say, "Are you interested?" And we we Got understand it. that there's a market for it. And another thing that you've been super aggressive on, where again, I think a lot of production companies are kind of still holding the bag, is the digital world. Digital and brand it. Actually, we're really aggressively getting into branded programming where brands are, brands are, you know, because of the way that I think um, television is being viewed, obviously with DVR, and then you don't really, it's selective watching, you don't have to watch commercials, and brands are really what are the bread and butter of our, you know, of our business. Yeah, they, they are the ones, the yeah, they pay the bills. And so at the end of the day, I think brands are, are realizing that they don't want to be so aggressively blatant about buy Coke, but they want to <laughs> be, they definitely want to be a, um, a lifestyle. And what are they and what are they in our life and how do they incorporate? And so now they've become much more of wanting to be a partner in the creative process. And that's something that we're doing a number of shows with directly with brands where we're using the network as actually a distribution outlet and not relying on them to actually buy the show but to bring the show to them so the brand pays for the show you give them the budget you know it's half a million an episode whatever it is and they pay for it outright and then the network licenses it no the network isn't licensing it they're basically housing it okay. on their on their platform on their they're a distributor if you look at it the network right. so they are housing it but it's programming that fits their right, their their brand. their their brand and it's also a a, a partnership in the sense that they're looking to promote it it's you know it's a it's a a, it's a good financial model for them but it's also a good financial model for me and it's also a great financial model for the brands to have exposure in a way that's not um that's that's more i would say prevalent than just getting a commercial spot is, does it change their creativity, though? Does it change it when you're thinking about, like, I do have to integrate Coke into these next five scenes, and no, it has but to feel not... organic, and it has to feel like it's part of the story? But it's less about integration, actually. It's more about over an overbrand that being sponsored by or paid by. Okay, got it. You know? What's an example of one that you've sold recently? Well, we have one right now that I'm doing with Norman Lear, and it's called If I Were President. And we are mm. now putting the whole piece together, but it is, um, we're looking at it with Joel McHale as well. And it's during the presidential campaign, and it'll be kids' perspective of what's what the topics are going on while the candidates the candidates are basically up into the presidential election. Oh, I love that. Which so brand is that with? Um, it's with a, a number of brands right okay. now, and we're just in Common Sense is another Common Sense Media we're working with too. So it's actually a very big, I would say, movement that expresses to to I think the. Um, 
community, the voice of the children, and it's coming from, the, uh, I think, a way that, that is not a brand. I think um, brands aren't in any way manipulating it. They're saying this is representative of who we are, too. Yeah, that sounds actually really great. So then in that case, you do you have to sort of have the digital outlet or the network on board beforehand, or you produce it and then you go out and say, hey, we've done, you know, 10 webisodes or whatever We are lining up the digital. We are, we're lining, not the digital, it's actually linear. Okay. So we're lining it up with the television network right now. And how do you decide now, because you are so deep into digital, sort of how you go... Do you go linear? Do you go digital? You know, well, is the money there yet in I think digital? It, well, it depends. Again, it's it's the exposure, and it can live on both platforms, too. So we're now in the midst of doing a big deal with um, – uh, I'm thinking if I should even announce this yet. <laughs> we're putting a big digital deal together Okay. right now that's going to be exposing um, – looking at doing Osborne's and doing a new version of Osborne's, and we're calling it 3.0. It's very I love fancy. It. Very, very, uh, meta. very fancy. <laughs> um, which is actually, it's really fun. It's a really good concept. And we have a great digital partner that we're working with and we're putting in brands. So it's all packaging right now. And that's something that we'll be announcing shortly. So And so Jack Osborne is one of your partners. So yeah. that's another thing I want to talk about because you mm-hmm. also have um, sort of were an early, you know, I don't say pioneer, but, you know, I feel like where people have caught up and now every production company's got pod deals and overalls, you were doing that early on with Jack and some other people. So talk about, like, that whole sort of third-party pod um, of it all. Well, I think the pod deal actually was inspired by the aggressive nature of, of the, you know, kind of mostly European companies coming over and buying companies outright. Mm-hmm. And, um, and being kind of in the midst of all of that, it made sense that all these smaller you know, independence needed a home and needed, um, you know, a, I'd say a partner, if you will, for momentum, but had a great brand or great ideas. And, you know, as a company, your only way you're going to grow is by um, bringing people in that will help you grow. You can only do so much as one individual. And so as looking at a company and wanting to grow, I said, how can I do that best for the most cost efficient way? Um, and bringing in people that, um, it's a win-win for both sides. So pods was what made the most sense. And, um, and Jack was looking, he was just, uh, getting out of a, a, a partnership. And with that, he was looking for a home. And for me, um, Jack, not only as just an individual, super creative, super creative guy. He also, he comes with a great brand. And so it was really saying, what can we do with, you know, you with your creative ideas, with the Osbournes, what makes the most sense? And so it was really, um, I'm happy. It's a great partnership. And Jack's, you know, been the success we've had. We have a series coming out with Jack and his dad traveling the world, which is going to be really fun. And that's on history? That'll be on history, yes. Um, so fun. And that is great. And then we're doing another show with his mom, Sharon Flipping Osborne. Um, she <laughs> flips houses. She does this for a living. That's amazing. Uh, not for a living, I should say. She doesn't do it for a living, clearly. <laughs> she does this as a hobby right. because she's super talented. So, And Jack likes to say they moved all their lives because she literally would get into a house, make it amazing, and then turn it around and move on. So, um, so you're in biz with the whole family. Yeah. And then in terms of pod deals, I'm always curious. I think people would want to know, like, my sense is that they're all over the place in terms of, you know, you hear about the sort of sweet deals where it's like you get a really nice base salary, but you also get the upside on, you know, with the cut with the parent company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then you also hear about you get virtually nothing, but you get a really nice split when something sells. So, mm-hmm. like, where do you, 
How do you make it attractive for producers to come work with you in terms of upside? I have to, I work independent. It's, it's producer by producer. Yeah. You know, it just how, how aggressively you have to look at the upside for me. And then I have to look at the producer and say, how does that work for you? So it's, it's really, uh, for me, case by case. So it isn't a formula that I say this is what it plugs into. Yeah. It really has to make sense for both of us to say, okay, X amount of dollars is what you're looking for. This is what I need. Or is it a housing deal? Or is it a first look deal? It's all, it's a, it runs a gamut. And when you say housing deal, you mean you literally are in my offices using my editors and my legal and all of that. Mm-hmm. And But that means what? Here, a housing deal, the most simplistic of it is, you're in my office. I'm paying for all of your overhead. Yeah. You don't have to pay a dime. <laughs> right. You're using all of our legal. You're getting my development team to help you craft and put things together. And then you're getting me to help you sell. And then with that comes, a, a, literally, it's like a 50-50 split once, okay. once things sell. So there's no money exchange on the upside, on the front end, but the exchange is actually in soft costs for me because right. I'm paying all these people anyway. And you don't have to pay anything, yet you're getting a, a better opportunity for success. Have these turned out to be good investments? Yeah, absolutely. So you're happy with with these deals that like they you feel like the volume has gotten bigger, like the investment's been worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. It's been really um you know, and again, we run the gamut of different types of deals, but we are, you know, we're moving a lot into different arenas based on the people we're working with, like um Ann Lewis Roberts who works with us. I always say Roberts, but she's dropping the Roberts. So just go Ann Lewis. Okay. Um, Ann. She's brought actually a lot of the digital. She, um, you know, uh, kind of brought in the, not kind of, but with the relationship, Lisa Berger, who's now over mm-hmm. at Awestruck. And we're doing about four series for them, four or five with Awestruck. And then bringing in syndication as well because she comes from that. So it's that's a very specific world. Jack obviously brings his arena to the table. And then we're also working with this company, Interior Day, that is Canadian-based. So that's kind of a new relationship into Canada. So it's, you know, I, I'm specific about what the, so they don't all, you know, there's very specific, I'd say, niches that each of them bring. I, that's a that's that sounds like the perfect way to build it. And in terms of niches, like for your for T Group, I'm curious because you know I was looking at all your credits and everything. And you guys do you have a really wild slate of, you know, there, I don't think there's one way. You know, you've done stuff in Alaska, but you've also done Celebrity Undercover, and right. you've done story. You know, you're you're doing a crime a, a, a true life you know doc show coming up for for LMN. So it's like, is there a brand? Like, how do you? Or do you feel like there needs to be a brand when you're out in the marketplace? Like, how do you distinguish yourself? Well, I think I specifically, I know, I went at it saying I don't want to be pigeonholed. And I didn't want to be pigeonholed, especially as a woman. I didn't want it to, like, all she does is she can only do female shows. So I kind of actually went aggressively into doing male shows. Um, It was a purposeful choice. And I also knew in our market when I started out that cable was really the land of opportunity. Because there's... So much real estate that needed to be filled and also network, meaning, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, they're very limited on their real estate. So it was a purposeful choice knowing there are so many cable outlets there to be mined to direct my attention at all of them versus singling one or two of them out and saying, that's all I do. Right. Um, You know, is a brand good to have? Yes. But also a brand can be limited. You know, because if you're only focused on a couple of networks and God forbid that falls out, it, you're, you're, you're in a bad position. Absolutely. And in terms of selling series, and everyone says, you know, it's a really hard time right now mm. and everyone's having, going through growing pains. And I guess, you know, as the industry's shifting, we yeah. all know like what's next. And do you feel like it's, 
like where's your head at in terms of where you want to concentrate your efforts? Where do I want to concentrate? I want to concentrate my efforts on being uh, the most successful in getting things to series. <laughs> right. I am. I'm always like, how do I ensure my success? Yeah. That's really what goes through my head. And so I think right now I'm putting a lot of emphasis on digital. Yeah. I think obviously it's it's obvious. I'm not saying anything that isn't like it's like I'm not saying the super genius. Yeah, digital is the future. Right, right, right. Really? Uh, really? Oh my god! Is it? Oh no! I didn't I heard know it's that. Catching on. Yeah. So I'm putting a lot of effort in that area. Um, and then we're also um, focused on a lot of brand it. Like I said, content yeah. where it's you know you're forging your own you know future by almost pa- by packaging the right you know elements together. So you're not dependent on somebody else buying it. But you're looking for a distribution home to air it, and it's a mutually benefiting kind of thing. So I would say my biggest thing right now is just putting – and premium, that's a big word now – making docu- <laughs> documentaries and all of that. And, you know, uh, the OTT networks like the Netflix and the Amazons and all of that, you know, there it's there's a land of opportunity out there. And it's just adjusting your, I'd say, content that fits into that. So – you know, Pat McGee, who works with us, he does a lot of great, um, more, I'd say, documentary type of programming, like 24 to Life, which is coming out. And, you know, I've kind of assigned him to more of the OTT documentary type of programming for us because he's he has a great vision and a great eye. And he and his, he has a great team, these guys who work with him. Should I throw out Adam if he's still here giving props? <laughs> and Mike? But um, it's, uh, it's building, I think, buckets, yeah. I call them, yeah. of areas that you are going to be successful in. No, I think that's good. I'm putting you on the spot with this question, but if you had to think, what's the hardest show you've ever had to bring to series that went to series? You know, that took two years or that was sort of like the labor of love that you never thought you'd push Uh, uh, out. That's easy to say. That's Storage Hunters because it literally started, I mean, Storage Hunters, as I had said, there was auction and, you know, and Storage Wars. Right. But they actually all came at the same time. So what happened is... Elaine Fontaine, who's over at a and yeah. she I had pitched her my show, mm-hmm. which at the time wasn't even called Storage Hunters. I think it was called Forbidden Storage or something. <laughs> I don't even know. But um, I pitched her the show, and she's like, I love it, but un- unfortunately there's a show on history that's being passed on to me that Tom Beers did, mm. and I kind of have to take it because it was history and we're A&E, so I'm sorry I can't buy your show. And I said, that's okay. Um, I talked to True TV, and they're going to buy it. So True TV bought it. And at the same week, my friend Sharon Levy, who runs Spike, says, guess what I got pitched? The show, I was like, no, you didn't. She's like, absolutely. So we're going to go on this. So literally, this all happened at the same time. So it was kind of a rush to get things to the air. So I did a pilot for True. And at at the time, they really wanted it very, like caricature like the yuppie guy who had the sweater (laughs) and the and the crazy you know like this so it's really big and large yeah but then they said "Ah, it feels a little too over the top can you make it more real so i said okay so went back and shot it true i'm surprised true true (laughs) we went back in and we redid it and the pilot now it's now it's about august right and so i'm like look shows are going to start to go to the air we have to go to series have to go to series and they're like um you know we like it now, but it's a little too real. Can you make it funny? Can you just make it funny? And through the perspective, not of the auctioneer, but through these characters. So oh shot the whole thing over again. <laughs> and so this time now it's like September. And they're like, we and love you're it. seeing the shows on the air I'm seeing the other stuff starting. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, and they're like, well, it's okay. If it's, you know, if it's successful there, it could be successful there. <laughs> right. So God bless them for not being like, oh, too late. Right. Thank God. So 
Then that was September and I'm waiting for pickup, waiting for a pickup. And so November, they're like, we're going to pick it up to series. And I said, great. And then I got a call. I'm not kidding you. December 20th and said, you know what? Do you think you could actually just do an arable pilot for us and let's test and see how it does? And I said, what? (laughs) It's December 20th. (gasps) And mind you, like everything's closed down. And I'm now, I'm still, (laughs) I'm I'm still Jenny Daly. Like without like T group is, this is 2009. Right. And I have no money. I have no, so I'm like working. I'm literally in the bays, (laughs) you know, shooting every show. So I literally said, they're like, well, could you get it to us by January 1st? And I said, no, you can't even do that. Are you crazy? And they're like, okay, how about January 27th? Or whatever. Uh, so I said, fine. So I, myself and an editor sat in the bay over wow. the holidays, and we got this half hour from each of those disparate pilots that we shot. We had to collab, you know, put those all together and make a cohesive half hour. They wow. aired it at 11 o'clock at night, and they got like a 1.2. Amazing. And that's how Storage Hunters Amazing. came about. Yeah. So it was from when you pitched it, how so what, A year. What, that's unbelievable. A year. And how lucky, like you said, because with all the copycats, you'd think it'll never break through. And one thing I did, and Mark Juris can laugh and tell you this, yeah. I sent right. them I sent them at the time to make them more excited about the show. <laughs> a storage locker, the, like a little mini That's thing, cute. and I filled it with, because it was called Forbidden Storage. In fact, that was actually Mark's idea, because it wasn't forbidden. He wanted to make it scary and crazy. Yeah. So I stuffed snakes in there and, and all this stuff. <laughs> Fake, of course. That's and perfect. I sent it to him. And they didn't know me very well. So yeah, they, right. at Christmas time, get like a storage locker that has a lock on it, like, and it says, open me at your own risk. And he's like, who is this crazy person? So we open it as snakes and all this stuff in it, and I think he thought I was a little crazy. Which you are, yeah. and that probably made them love you more. It was funny. <laughs> but they all were like, ah. So, I love it. I yeah. love it. So I'm curious, because you always strike me as someone who is very confident. Mm. And I think that's the way that you project, you know, into the world. Is is it sort of, that's a true... Is it fake? Yeah. You think <laughs> it's lying? like you make it? Or is I'm it miserable? sort of you, Hell, you know, because... Yeah, I'm miserable. No, I mean, look, everybody has their fears, you know? It's like we all go home at night and lay our head on the pillow, <laughs> like deep in there and mush it and give myself more wrinkles and go, oh, I'm a loser. <laughs> I mean, I have my high... I feel, you know what I tell my husband or tell my friends? I often feel like I am truly a, like... Schizo- like manic depressive oh. like like schizophrenic because like yeah. I this business you can be on top of the uh, world one and the next thing you be like that's yes. from minute to minute and oh absolutely <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying I feel like I'm bipolar <laughs> totally. maybe that's a better word for I it like I'm you. like I'm up I'm down I'm up and down yeah so my answer to you is <laughs> I am constantly combating the the pains of being scared and worried and oh my god and and the bigger you grow the more actually difficult it is because now you gotta you gotta maintain and you have have more people who you're you know relying on you and it's it's pressure you know and so it's one that i take i take to heart you know i actually i like to run my business like a family i mean i i feel good that a lot of people have always expressed working at t group is very much like a family and that's what i want i bring my family so i love that it's very much a uh, you know, to my heart, I created this from zero. So I would say, yeah, I deal with pressures and stress and like, I'm, a, you know, all the time, except what I do is I always say, I will, I will make, I will get up that hill. And I will, as I like to tell my friends right now in this business where we're at, I feel like I'm a person who's just pushing these massive boulders <laughs> up hills and I'm pushing all day long. 
And that's where I'm at, you know? Yeah, and I, I recognize I wouldn't ask this of a guy, so, um, but I am always curious in terms of the working mom of it all and having your own company. And I'm not going to say how do you do it all because I know none of us do it all. It's a stupid thing to say, but how do you do it? You know, and that's the, uh, you know, honestly, I was thinking about this last night as my kid had a fever at three o'clock in the morning (laughs) and I'm putting, you know, cloths on his head and I'm trying to get his temperature down and, 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 you know, you, I'm lucky I have a partner who really allows and helps me be the person I am. And I don't know if I could have done this without him and had everything that I have. So I have a really amazing partner and I think it takes a village to raise children and I've definitely utilized that type of mentality. I'm yeah. not one to be too precious about <laughs> asking for help. You know, asking for help. And and I think that again, I have a great partnership. I have a great partner, and he is, you know, he has a business himself, but we balance well. And you know, I tend to really try my best to ensure that I'm available and I'm present and I'm there at everything. And I go home at, to have dinner every night with my kids, and then. I get back on my computer when they go to bed. And, you know, it's just you do, you make it you what you it can. Out. And my kids come into the office all the time. So I love that. it's constantly, and that's why I'm lucky. I own my own company. My kids can come in any time. Right. And you can and go they, And they do. And so does my dog. Yeah, I love and it. I'm a dog-friendly company. I love it. I decided I want to do some Inside the Actors question studios. Oh, good. Like quickies. Okay. Just to get. Bring uh, it. Okay. Proudest accomplishment. In business or in life? No, my in children. Life. My children, you know, I'd say. Biggest regret. I think looking at the perspective of life and what I've always done, I've always jumped and this one time I didn't jump. And I ju- I didn't jump out of out of thinking that it wasn't there was a lot of elements to tell me that I thought, Oh, I shouldn't and I should have just jumped. And that's the only time in my life I haven't. And I learned a lesson that I should always go with my just go for it. Go with that gut, that mm-hmm. growly gut. <laughs> What's the craziest show you've ever been pitched? Craziest? I get pitched crazy stuff all the time. Give me an example. I mean, I have to say it comes from my mind, too. I just got pitched a show with a, a little person who happens to be gay, and I said, I want a series called Little Bit Gay. Oh, and I'm gonna. I'm taking that out. I'm taking Absolutely. it out. Absolutely. A little gay. Lifetime. And it's gonna be a literally a <laughs> ensemble of little of little people who happen to be gay. I'm so and annoyed. I didn't think of this. I'm telling you, and that is like people would go, "Are you mad?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I am." I'm That's a little bit mad. I know. That is. Oh, I'm annoyed. We're taking okay. that out. That's, That's gonna be on next year on on uh, on Lifetime. Absolutely. Thanks. It's fantastic. What's the best show you never sold? That baby that you're like, I still bothers oh, you till this day. I have it right now. <laughs> a show with Jay Glazer that's amazing and it's so good and I'm so annoyed and it better sell. And it's it, he's a great talent and it's got so many and those are the shows you're like, What? So yeah, what is it? Like what like with that particular show, what putting on your network hat, like can you figure out what it is? You know, I can't, to be quite <laughs> honest. I really can't. It's a weird uh quandary for me. <laughs> right. Because those are and, so fresh to me. Yeah. We love it. We love the talent. It's like, well, why aren't you buying it? No, it's a, and the only thing I can liken it to is it definitely, it lives in a male dominated world and people might be worried it doesn't have enough female um, intrigue or, in, or enough female allure. And to me, I feel like that's an easy fix. So there's, there you have it. Okay. Get that female co-host, whatever. Uh, Ruin the show, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
What's the worst network? What's the worst network meeting you've ever had? Oh, the worst network meeting I had was I went and I don't even remember her name. I was in a in a meeting with a syndication outlet, um, and this woman was horrible. <laughs> she was so rude and so like persnickety. I can't even be in. And, and I was in actually. We all walked out of this meeting laughing because she was such. I'm sorry, a bitch. And it was really so funny. It was like, oh my god. It was with Elaine Elaine Bauer, who's a great friend of mine. It was her boss at the time. Okay. I don't even know this woman's name, nor do I care okay. to remember. Yeah, look her up. No, yeah, look her up. She was awful, and she was just the rudest person I've ever dealt with. And it, and it was just like really. Is there a reason we need... And I laughed in the meeting. These things make me laugh. Right, right. I don't take offense because yeah. I honestly think, are you so right. ridiculous right. that so you can... with herself. That, well, I don't even know it's miserable. If you're so unhappy with this pitch and just right. be like, you know, you guys, this isn't working for me. But our right. business, to take it that seriously <laughs> right. and be that insulting to somebody else who has many years of experience amongst us, this, this group who were in there, it just made me laugh. When you're in a network pitch, when you leave the room, like you said you were laughing, do you have a sense at this point... If it's gonna sell or not? Yeah, like ninety yeah. percent. Like, well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty on. Like, I'll be yeah. at least I'll know there's definitely interest, yeah. and then we'll push it. I mean, I think at this point too, network executives, I know so many are our friendly and friends that they can be honest with me, whereas they don't have to paint the I love it, and then I keep thinking you're gonna buy it, aren't you? And then I, I mean, we know. Right, but the problem is, as you know, unless you're pitching to the head of whatever said network... Which we do. Right. I mean, you no. kind of have to be doing that to get the real answer, because it really doesn't matter well, what the I underlings think, think does well, it? Well, no, it does matter. I think, actually, it's interesting. I do think... I think the... Okay, now I officially need a banana. I'm not kidding. I banana, please. I literally, I literally. So, but can we bring a banana? I'm not kidding. I'll do the talking. It is so... I'm like... <laughs> I know. I did hear that last one. Yeah, but... um. Uh, I would say that the network executives, they hire their, you know, right, say VPs. No, 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 no. They hire their VPs, thank you, for a reason. You know, like they want them, they trust in them. And sometimes, like I worked in a network, right. you know, you can, I was the person who would fall, and Lisa would say to me, are you going to fall on the sword for this, Jenny? And I would say, yeah. Right. And then she would buy it because I pushed it through. So I don't always think that it has to be that because a lot of times the top person doesn't really want to do that business. They want to know that who's ever working underneath them loves it. I agree with that. I'm going to fill time while you eat the banana. So mm -hmm. I agree with that to an extent, but I also have found that no matter how hard the number twos or the number threes push, even the number one and a half push, a lot of times it's up to that one person and that person's having a bad day, or maybe they just don't see it for whatever reason, um, or, mm -hmm. you know, something personal about it is rubbing them the wrong way. Sure. And it's that random. Mm -hmm. And and that's the part that frustrates me, because I feel like, you know, all of that work, not just from you, like, you know, obviously, you know, your pitch is just one part of the formula. They've got to pitch it internally that... Um, you know, I've seen things go all the way up to the top, and then just because that one person's not feeling it, it's over, which just seems wrong. Yeah, but I'm going to blame the executives for that because they should fall on the sword then. You know what I mean? But do you if, feel like they do? Do you feel like... No. They don't. No, They're not don't. willing to risk their jobs. I don't jobs. feel like... I don't, exactly. I feel like... It's like, I don't feel, though, that every single network executive out there will fall on the sword for things. I think they'll like it, but if there's a... Mm, then it's not... I mean, I know I was that person because... 
I honestly, again, ignorance, I didn't understand, I didn't need to be an executive, meaning I'd right. just go back and be a producer. And so I didn't, I didn't have that like, oh God, my job's on the line if it fails or anything. So I think a lot of times there's a safety in not saying we absolutely have to do this. But, you know, example with our show with 24 to Life, the executive who took this in fell on the sword for it and got it made. And I, you know, thank him because he really, his boss didn't like it. And still doesn't to this day. But even though, I mean, I shouldn't say he doesn't like it. He doesn't believe that it will be successful. But it's something that is, I mean, across the board, every single person who's watched it in the network loves it. They think it's a phenomenal job. It's a beautifully shot show. And it's powerful and emotional. And you know what? We're going to see how it does. But I feel like um, I'm going to throw in props, Eli. <laughs> we love Eli Lair. And, and the thing is, is that mm -hmm. that's a great point because... The frustration I'm already feeling is that if it doesn't do the ratings they want, then that executive has the see. I told you guys that it wouldn't rate, and and, and he and, will he would get that. And here's what I will say that is kind of lovely though about networks is you still know you can make shows that aren't going to do well, right? You absolutely know? agree. And the person and is going to the person, yeah. And you know, as a network, as a production company, you're the one that feels it the most because you're like, oh shit, now that's not going to another series. That's a suck. You know, right. finance it's, right. it, it hurts you, right? But you have to take risks. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. And I think, you know, this, I don't feel it was a risk, but I guess in their mind it was, but I'm grateful and I think it's an amazing show and I feel like it's going to do amazing. How's that? April 12th on LMN. Listen, and it's 24 to life, 24 to life. And here's what I have to say. Uh, a good example of that is the A&E show that, um, about the Down syndrome kids. I'm, sp I'm, I'm, mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. spacing on, I should say adults, not kids. Uh, I'm amazed. That show did well. It did it okay. Okay, it did no. well. Let me put it this way. I didn't think it would rate at all. Mm -hmm. I thought, and they t obviously took a chance. It was a beautifully done show. I saw two episodes, mm -hmm. and it rated respectively. Respectively. What I what I appreciate that A&E has done, though, which, again, is saying, okay, did okay, but they're behind it. Yes. And that's... They're promoting that, it. That at this time yeah. is hard in this day and age for networks to get behind something that doesn't even necessarily do phenomenal, but they're going to take... They're going to... And that's what I think networks should be doing is looking at the programming that they believe can make a difference and push the numbers eventually because it's a great show because right now you're not going to get those hit numbers anymore on the day one because of there's so many things to look at there's so many you know now you don't need to watch it immediately there's no appointment television i just gonna i'm just gonna tape that and i'm gonna watch it eight days right. from now i don't know when i'm gonna watch it but I think now it's saying, looking at your program and going, I believe in that program, and so we're going to stick with it. And guess what? Familiarity is why people keep watching. Once to be, oh, okay, I'll keep going back to that. Yeah. I mean, look at the shows that are doing well. A lot of the older shows are what are doing really well because people remember, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Amongst the sea of many, so much more, I'm going to watch that. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. I, well, I even it's... look at ABC. You know, they've gone to bringing back Family Feud. They've right. gone to bringing back things that... And it's doing phenomenal because yeah. it's relatable. Right. Oh, nostalgia, nostalgia and it's new, you know? Yeah. I think the other biggest frustration I have is, and I, don't, I, I know you do too, is just how long everything takes. Oh, my God. You know, we just, I just found out about a project that literally was pitched a year ago. It's killing me. Good news. $20,000 for a presentation. I swear <laughs> to God, this is true. Are and you I'm bringing like, that in and producing that with me? Are we, yeah. <laughs> are, are we supposed to be excited about this a year later? <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, I gotta think that kills you. I mean, I think that's rare to get the good news a year later. We're gonna do it, but what I will say is you definitely get the great um, let's move forward and do a presentation. Uh, I just had this happen to me um, at VH1 where last 
really last year january shot two pilots presentations excuse me <laughs> was supposed to go straight to series one of them they decided not to move forward with and that one we actually ended up selling elsewhere um, which is great. And then another one, they decided, let's keep doing this and make a full pilot out of it. I'm like, really? Do we have to do a full pilot? <laughs> yeah, we have to. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be... I'm like, okay. And I was like, you know, you put your faith in the network because clearly they're behind it if they're going to put all that money into right. it. Do the whole pilot. And then, unfortunately, the woman who's heading the whole network, you know, heading the <laughs> division, you know, she, she exit and then the new person comes in. And I mean, I understand they want their slate. They want their thing that's going to work. And now I've spent a year crafting this and now it then only to be let go. And then fortunately Brutal. for us, it's actually getting picked up elsewhere. Thank God. Thank God. Now but, the, the br you can't control the players. Uh, and that's the thing. It's just like, you can't control that. You can't control, you know, different, you know, shifting of the network's needs and all of that. But you're, you're the one who gets at the end of the day, because we are the producers who are literally feeling that it's like somebody punches you in the gut. <laughs> and that's the thing that I don't, the connective tissue of what the network executives don't feel is the repercussions of those unfortunate, like, yeah, no. And, and again, it's not their fault, but right. also it's one where you're like, Maybe just let it go if you don't think there's a chance. Right. Just give it back. Right. So I can at least not... Yeah, hold on know. to it for six months even though you know you're not going to go for it. That's that's brutal. Well, I don't think it's holding on. I think from day one when you make these presentations, yeah. you know, you if, know. It, if you're if there's like, okay, it's going to work. Right. Although sometimes things get revived from the dead. It's happened a few times. You know, it's rare and it still usually doesn't work out, but, well, you know. Well, revive from the dead meaning. Like it was a present, I had this happen to, actually one that went to series, it was a, it was a presentation, was bought, it was, they loved it, but just wasn't brand, it was too, it was too much of a brand rub. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they killed it. That was the end of that. We ended up doing another thing because they felt bad, they gave us money to do something else. Well, they ended up focus testing it, which we didn't think they were going to do. Well, that's interesting. It went through the roof on focus tests. And based on that, they wanted to order two pilots. Well, luckily we had kind of a big shot talent. He said, I'm not doing pilots. If they want it, they got to go straight to series. They went straight to series. And did it do well? Uh, no, did not. Oh! So that's the moral of that story. Oh, that's a bummer. It was a, it was a brand rub from beginning to end. Oh, so, uh, yeah, so rarely happens. And when it does, it usually does not end well. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. All right, last question. What advice would you give to someone who wants to start their own company or who even wants to get into the business or wants to do what you're doing? Like, what's the, what's the, the wisdom you can impart? Uh, I think the wisdom to impart is it, like I did partner yourself with somebody who's already, you know, in this business and knows it and navigates it and has the relationships. It just, you have to, I did. I, Paul Buccieri is really the, re, he's my navigator. He helped me get to where I am today based off he had experience and I had good ideas, you know, and we could run a good show. So you have to have talent to begin with. You can't just be like, ride somebody's <laughs> coattails. Don't get me wrong. Right. But you need to align yourself. Whereas I think a lot of times, especially in this kind of like, you know, instant gratification and they call it the millennial kind of, you know, <laughs> mentality. And I, I hate to put, you know, blanket statements on things, but I am seeing it a lot as I hire a lot of people. Is this kind of like, I deserve it, I should get it immediately. But it's like, wow, <sighs> you know what? It's not that you don't deserve it. <laughs> But what you need to do is understand why you're going to get there. And it's just like and aligning yourself with the momentum to get there. And then once you're in and you prove yourself, then move on and, and you know, and like leapfrog and grow. But it's like, you know, I think it's a good way to allow yourself success and to be, you know, not struggling, struggling, struggling. Because you can, and not even going like, you know, just an independent person who wants to get in this business is not easy. 
but there's opportunity. Agree. And I can't, I feel like a whole separate podcast would have to be on the millennial of it all because that, <laughs> in that I think in the age of instant gratification with all of our technology, like it's, I, I had a guy who was basically a PA to an AP tell me he wanted to throw his his hat in the ring for showrunner on a show. He had been a producer for like a minute and a half. Oh, I go, yeah. are you kidding me? Do you know how long it took me to showrun shows? And it's, there's no concept. And it's an entitlement thing, too. Yeah. And it's not with all of them. And that's a whole other where I feel like Granny we'll Sue come, going yeah, like, yeah, Granny, oh, ah, younger. I told you. We have to you walk. can't do it that way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. This has been amazing, Jenny. Fun. You Very are. fun. You are the best. Well, thank you for having me as your okay. official um, beta <laughs> test. I'm like your beta test um, You're a good podcaster. Beta. Yeah, I like prefer to call you a guinea pig. Yeah. Oh, I, that's <laughs> another show I want to do. Be my guinea pig. It's a good that's one. That's good. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. A little bit gay. I mean, I feel like that's yeah. the best takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right.